We've kind of been experimenting with the new building, you know, and the services we normally have on Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve, and we weren't expecting uh, the number of people that showed up, so next year we'll probably have two services like we do normally. Um, yeah, New Year's, uh, New Year's Eve today. Amazing, amazing. Just by way of announcements, we're not going to have any activities on the next two Wednesday nights. We're going to be, Hutton is going to be finishing up some things that need to be finished up in the, in the hallway. So the next two Wednesday nights, we won't have activities and activities will start back on January 17th. But after today, all the Sundays will be back to normal, back to normal for the new year. So New Year's Eve, it's time when we're all supposed to make resolutions, right? Do, do, do people still do that? Resolutions, make resolutions for the new year? I mean, it's good to want to change something, but I mean, let's face it, most of us don't have really a good track record of keeping New Year's resolutions. Uh, I can't count how many times over the years that I've resolved to diet and exercise only to wake up late on New Year's Day and eat all the leftover Christmas cookies. Um, resolutions kind of have, I mean, they... They become a joke, really. I mean, I understand it's a good thing, and if you keep yours, you know, way to go. But most of us don't. So as we continue in Hebrews, we're going, if you're visiting with us, we're going through the book of Hebrews step by step, section by section, and we come to Hebrews chapter 4. As we continue in these couple of verses, verses 12 and 13, about the Word of God, I think there is something here that we should take particularly serious as we get ready to launch into the new year. In fact, many of us, myself included, could make a resolution to be more engaged in the Word of God, to be more faithful to the Word of God, to be more faithful to feed on the Word of God in the new year. Maybe in this text we find a resolution that we need to make. The Bible is the infallible, inerrant, perfect Word of God. Amen. 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us that all Scripture is God-breathed. And it is sufficient. The Bible is sufficient to equip the man of God for every good work, it says. The Word of God is the powerful standard by which we test all things. Circumstances, situations, events, our own hearts. Our own thoughts, our own minds must be subjected, submitted, and tested by the Word of God. Today in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 through 13, these two verses give us a vivid description, really, of the power of God's Word. And it also gives us, really, a warning about how we are to respond to God's Word. Let me read verses 11 through 13. It says, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Now... Before we immerse ourselves in the details of this text, this passage, you, you really need to understand the context because 
Honestly, I can just read those three verses and I can make that say whatever I wanted to say. I can, I can tell you all kind of things about all kind of things and you not knowing the context of how we came to these two verses, you would have really no bearing to know whether I'm doing, doing a good job or doing a bad job, doing faithfully or not. So in Hebrews, as we've walked from chapter 1, verse 1, all the way to these verses, we understand that the Hebrew Christians, the professing Christians who were, were Jewish, were being persecuted. They were suffering by the hands of their fellow Jews, by their families and friends, but also by the time Hebrews was written by, by the Romans as well. And this had gone on for years. This wasn't just a, a flare-up and now they're going through some suffering. They had been suffering persecution and being ostracized and all of the things that go with that for a very long time. And now they were being tempted to turn turn back to Judaism, to turn back to the temple and to the priests and to the sacrifices and to the life they had always known. All of their anguish, all of their suffering, all of the things that they were enduring in this, this what they would consider miserable life would stop immediately if they just went back to the old way. Judaism was protected religion in the Roman Empire in this time. But God's word, the writer of Hebrews, was telling them, the whole point of the book of Hebrews, don't go back. Jesus is better. He's better than Moses, better than the high priest, better than the sacrifices, better than all of those things. And verses 12 and 13 in chapter 4 are really the conclusion of a a mini-sermon in the book of Hebrews. From chapter 3, verse 7, to chapter 4, verse 13, the author of Hebrews has been preaching. And his text that he has been expositing is Psalm 95, 7 through 11. So what I want to do before we get into this text, I want to read that whole sermon to you. I want you to hear his argument from beginning to end, which ends right here in these two verses, so you can see the flow of the text and what he has been saying over and over again. Are you with me? Say I'm with you if you're not. Okay, good. I'm going to take that as you are. So I'm going to start in chapter 3, verse 7, and I'm going to read to chapter 4, verse 13. And if, if, if you didn't know, the last time we were in Hebrews, you probably ought to have your Bible in front of you because I put the wrong verse up on the screen and told you to write the wrong verse in your Bible. Don't, don't trust what I tell you. You better be following along in your Bible. Chapter 3, verse 7 says this. This is the sermon. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, and this is Psalm 95, 7 through 11, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years, therefore I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. That's Psalm 95, 7 through 11. And then the author of Hebrews comments on the verse. He says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another daily, every day. Exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. He says, For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. And then he quotes the Psalm 95 again. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. 
For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all who left Egypt, led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see they were unable to enter because of unbelief. And then verses, uh, verse 1 in chapter 4 says, Therefore, because of this, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news, gospel, came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. As he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works, God's works, were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it. And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day. Today, saying through David, Psalm 95, so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest when they entered the promised land, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. And then here's our passage. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. And here's why. Because for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. That's a long section. But you needed to hear the entirety of his sermon. Not just me picking out what I think you ought to uh, understand from two verses. Let's pray and ask God to be with us as we begin looking at these verses. Father, we do love you and I, I thank you for your word. God, I pray that you would help me to be faithful today. I pray that you would help us to hear only truth. That everything spoken would be what you have designed what your word means, what your spirit has inspired. God, we pray that you would give us clarity as we come to this last day of the new year. God, and that you would show us what you would have us to know moving forward. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, this sermon from 3.7 to 4.13 is comparing the Hebrew Christians who were thinking about going back to Judaism, turning away from Christ, and going back to save themselves from all this persecution. He's comparing them to the wilderness generation. We've talked about this several times as we walk through all of the texts in the sermon. They came out of Egypt. They passed through the Red Sea. God provided, sustained them in the wilderness, but they did not trust God's word. They did not trust God's promise, and they refused to go into the land when God brought them right to the doorstep of it. This section calls the Hebrew Christians who were, were suffering, these professing Christians, they were being tempted 
He's, he's saying, don't be like them. That's basically the whole sermon. Don't be like them. Don't turn away. If you hear his voice, don't harden your heart to his word as they did in the wilderness. Don't turn from the promise of God. Don't turn from the commands of God. He repeatedly says over and over again, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. So after this long comparison to the wilderness generation, he says... So there remains a rest for us to enter. He says, let us fear failing to enter this rest. And then he concludes by saying, strive. Let's strive to enter that rest. And we talked about that uh, quite a bit last, the last time we were in Hebrews. It's not work to enter that rest. It's strive to enter that rest. Be faithful to the promises of God, to the gospel. Strive to enter that rest. And then he says, here is why you strive to enter that rest. Because the Word of God is alive. It's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And he uses this picture of the sword purposefully. When Israel didn't believe God's Word of promise, standing at the promised land, about to go in, they refused to enter the land. And so God gave them a word of judgment. He said, okay, if you don't want to go in, I'm going to send you into the wilderness for 40 years. But they didn't want to obey that either. So immediately, and it's Numbers 14, not Numbers 15, they said, oh, we were just kidding. We'll go on in. Yeah, uh, the wilderness thing, yeah, we, we, we didn't hear you right, so we'll, we'll go on into the land now. Yeah, we believe you now because we don't want to go into the wilderness. And God gave them a word of warning. He said, don't go into the land now. I won't be with you. And they didn't believe that word either. They went into the land anyway. And Numbers 14 says, they fell by the sword of the Canaanites, of the Amalekites. The sword of the Canaanites was used by God to judge them for their unbelief in his promise, in his command, in his warning. Here, the author uses that picture. He says, the word of God is sharper than any sword that they faced that day. Strive to enter into his rest because the word of God cuts deeper than any sword, physical sword of judgment. The word is the judge and the standard by which you will give an account is basically what he says in these two verses. And he gives this very descriptive image of God's word. And we're going to look at it piece by piece. Still with me? All right, here we go. The first thing he says is that this, the word of God is it's living and it's active. First part of verse 12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. The word of God is living because a living God speaks through it. Amen. Through the word, God speaks to you in your situation, in your needs, in your circumstances. Amen. The word of God is alive, speaking to you today. The word is active. Word meaning, meaning he's, it's working. It's powerful. Even today, the promises and the warnings of God's word are just as true and life-giving and powerfully working today as when they were first inspired. Amen. The Hebrew Christians that, that this book is written to, they were facing a life of hardship a life of suffering with no hope that their, their earthly lives were ever going to get any better. 
They were enduring trials for their faith, for their profession of Christ, that we could not even imagine. They were being tempted to say, you know, I know that God's word says this. I know that Jesus is this in God's word. I know he is the Messiah. I know he's the Savior. I know he has fulfilled the promises. But my situation's different. My struggles are not included in what God was talking about there. How could God want me to suffer for the rest of my life in this way because I profess Jesus? Surely, surely God's commands don't apply here. The writer of Hebrews is telling them, no, they apply to you. God's word is living today. It's active today. He's saying, look, we're not pointing to long ago promises from a bygone era that have no relevance to your current situation on the ground. He quoted Psalm 95 several times in that sermon. And he tells his readers, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. The point is, today, his word speaks to you. These are his commands. These are his promises. These are his warnings. And they are for you. Jesus is speaking to you today in his word. Toward the end of the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews 12, verse 25, after this long argument that he's trying to convince the Hebrews not to turn from Christ, he says, See that you do not refuse him who not spoke, but is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warned from heaven. The word of God is speaking to you today. These are not antiquated promises, commands, and warnings that just don't apply to your specific situation, your particular circumstances, your life today. The Word is alive because a living God is speaking to you through it. His commands are for you right now. In the daily decisions you make, in the daily walk that you have, His promises are for you right now. To reject the commands, to reject the warnings, and to reject the promises of God's word is to harden your heart when you hear his voice. That's the point he's making. The writer, through this whole sermon, this little mini-sermon in Hebrews, he's saying, don't do what Israel did in the wilderness. Don't forsake God who is speaking to you right now. Don't refuse his commands. Don't refuse his promises. He promised them, you will take the land and I will give it to you. And they didn't believe it, so they disobeyed, saying, we're not going in. Not only did they disobey his command, they disbelieved the promise that God would bring them through. Listen, God's word is not unconnected to your specific struggle, your specific trial, or or the decisions that you're making day to day in your work, in your family, in your home, in your school, in all of the places where God has put you. They're given for you today as you live this life that Christ has given you. The word of God is living and active for you today because God's word understands your heart and your life better than you do. He says that the word is not only living and active, but it's also piercing. 
and discerning. That's why he says it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow. And look at this. Discerning. The word is where we get our word critic from. It means to judge. Judging the thoughts and intentions of the heart. He knows your heart better than you do. A two-edged sword cuts both ways. Of course, you've probably heard that in many sermons and many uh, books on this text. It's, the promises are true and the warnings are true. The promises are true and the judgments are true. By God's word, you will either have God's rest or you will have God's judgment. The word cuts you open and exposes your sinfulness. And there are only two possible results. Two possible responses. And when I say it exposes your sinfulness, I mean exposes all of our sinfulness. There's nobody in here that could say, hey, you know, I've read the word and I I'm looking pretty good. But no, no, you're not. And I'm not either. The word cuts you open and exposes your heart, exposes your sinfulness. And there are only two responses. You will either repent and receive grace in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Or this sword will cut you down in judgment. Those are the only two responses. As Israel fell by the sword of the Canaanites, God's word will be the arbiter of judgment upon you. And it's sharper than any two-edged physical sword. He's telling the Hebrews, listen, often we fear the consequences if we choose to obey God's word as it's written. My situation, my life, my needs, my whatever. If I obey God's word as it's written, the consequences would just be dire. We weigh what would happen if we do what God says the way God says to do it. If we live that way, if we make our decisions that way, how is that going to impact my life? We fear those consequences when the reality is the writer of Hebrews is telling them, you should fear the consequences if you don't. God knows what is best for you. When I say that, sometimes we think, you know, I don't know how many people's in this room, but there's quite a, quite a few. We say, God knows what's best for us all. Well, yeah, that's true, but he knows what's best for you in your personality, with your situation, in, in your life, in what you are going through, in what's happening personally in your life, God knows what's best for you. And he's put it in his word for you. It's not just like peanut butter spread over everything and it's just great for everybody. This is what we're supposed to do. No, he has a personally involved relationship with you and his word speaks to you today. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. The sword of the word pierces the inner motivations and the intents of our heart. He knows what you intend. He knows your motivation. And the word discerns the thoughts and intentions of our heart. His word cuts deeply into the darkest corners of our souls and exposes the truth that is there. Some people use this verse about piercing the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow to... to 
talk about whether human beings are body, soul, and spirit, or body and soul. The author's not making any physiological statement about humanity. He's simply saying the word lays every part of you bare. The deepest, most hidden truths about us. It reveals the depths of who we are. By the word, we are judged. Our hearts are opened and laid bare. The word even discerns our motives, our intent. Human beings, all of us, from the pulpit all the way to the back door, we have this uncanny ability to do mental gymnastics in order to justify what the Word of God says applies to us. To justify us not obeying the Word of God, not heeding the Word of God, not holding fast in faith to the Word of God in both the promises and the warnings. We have this uncanny ability to say, yeah, but my situation, the Word doesn't take my situation into account. Or we think, sometimes we think God's greatest desire, it must be for us to be happy and free from trial. These Hebrews were going through trials that you and I can't even imagine with no hope of them ever letting up. If I put myself in their position, I could, I could legitimately, in my own heart, I could, I could legitimately say that I might think, God, why would you do this to me? Why would you allow me to suffer like this? I, I, I'm professing your name. I'm trusting in Jesus and I'm professing Jesus and because I'm doing this, this suffering is happening. Why would you do this to me? At the, at the root, I, I would be thinking, don't you want me to be happy? Listen, God's word shows us the truth about our hearts. We may fool ourselves. We may fool our parents. We may fool our friends. We may even fool our pastors and our disciple, disciples. But God knows the deepest part of your heart. He knows your intent. He knows your motivations. He knows whether pride or unbelief or selfishness is at the root of my decisions or my actions. The Word discerns the deepest realities of my heart. And what the Word says is true about my heart is true whether I believe it or not. So when the Word speaks, church, we have to listen. We have to submit to the Word because the Word is truth. The Word is the standard by which judgment will be rendered. Amen. That's what he says. He discern, it discerns the thoughts of our hearts, intentions of our hearts. And then he says the Word will expose and it will judge. He says no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him. Look at it to whom we must give an account. Regardless of what I think, regardless of what I say, God's Word exposes the truth. God's Word lays us open and bare before the one to whom we must give an account. And we will give an account based on what the Word of God has said. Excuses, arguments, justifications, all the things that I do and you do too will be of no help when we stand before the one who knows the very intent of our hearts, who knows the motivations of our actions, the ones deep down that we don't tell anybody. Hear this description in, in verses 12 and 13. This description of the word destroys, really 
two major excuses that we often use to dis disobey God. Two major excuses that I find in my own heart. The first is that we often think that our disobedience in secret will never come to light. Oh, yes, it will. Numbers 32, 23, be sure that your sin will find you out. Even if you keep it secret in this life, there's coming a day when everything done in darkness will be dragged into the light. Jesus said you will give an account for every idle word. The second excuse that I often use, and I'm pretty sure you do too, unless I'm just the worst sinner in the room, which is very possible, is that the warning of judgment, God's warnings of judgment will never be carried out on me. We presume that we've entered, because we've entered grace, therefore we're free to sin all that we want. Doesn't really matter. Understand, if that's how you think, and we've talked about sin, salvation, and eternal security all through Hebrews. If you're visiting with us, we are eternal security people because the Bible teaches it, and we'll stand on that hill no matter what. But understand, if your mindset is, well, praise God, I'm saved by grace, therefore I can sin all I want, and it doesn't matter. I, I doubt that you've been saved. That's the heart of a person who's not received the grace of God that trains us to live godly in this present world, as it says in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. To say, I know that this is sin, I know that this is wrong, but hey, it's all good, God will forgive me, and I'll just continue on. Oh, that's a dangerous game. You, you should be fearful of that kind of heart creeping up into you. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. The word of God is the basis by which we will receive the promises or we will be judged. When I say the basis, you know what I mean? The word doesn't save you. Jesus Christ saves you in the gospel. But it's through the word that we have those promises. Through the word that we have those truths. The word is the standard. John chapter 12, verse 48, Jesus says this, The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. If that's true, and the word of God is the absolute standard by which we will be judged, by which our hearts are laid bare, who among us can possibly stand righteously before the sword of the Lord? Who can face the perfect word of God, the commands and the warnings, and say, well, I have stood faithful in it all? No one. That's the point. That's the point that the writer is making. That's why we need the gospel. These Hebrews are thinking about turning away from Jesus and going back to the law. Who can stand before the word of God and its judgments and say, I have done all that there is to do? No one. You haven't and I haven't either. So the question really at the end of this is, how do we apply these two verses about the word of God being living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword, exposing our hearts, exposing our sin, by whom, to whom we'll give an account? How do we apply them to us? 
don't harden your heart when you hear the voice of God. He says in this sermon, I read the whole thing to you, verse chapter 3, verse 7, all the way to 4.13. He said, let us fear. Let us fear failing to enter that rest. Let us strive to enter that rest. We must, church, live with a heart exposed to the Word, open to what the Word says about us. We must never cover ourselves or hide ourselves or justify our sinful disobedience. When God's Word exposes our hearts, reveals the sin that is there, what do we do? We confess it before the Lord. We run to Jesus Christ in the Gospel and receive forgiveness. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the point is not just, hey, do good, stop doing bad. If you could do that, you wouldn't need the Gospel. The point is submit yourself to the Word of God. Submit your intelligence, your emotions, your decisions, your actions, your understanding to the Word of God because only the Word of God is infallible. Don't fight against the Word of God when conviction comes to you through it. You will lose. Instead, we acknowledge our sin because the Word is right and I am wrong. And then we run to Jesus Christ for His righteousness, for His forgiveness. So we don't defend ourselves saying, well, I know the Word says this, but that doesn't take my my situation into account. That doesn't take my heart into account. I know what I mean when I said that. I know what I meant when I did that. No, the Word of God is true. It discerns your intent and your heart. So when the Word convicts you, you don't justify, you don't defend, you don't close yourself up to it. As a follower of Jesus Christ, you don't have to. You can open your heart and say, I see the ugliness in there and praise God I have a Savior. Don't fight against God's Word. The other thing I think, as long as we're making resolutions, (laughs) we have to give ourselves to study and feed on the Word of God. Listen, Bible study and and. And our study of the Word of God, our feeding on the Word of God, it's not just for you to fill your head with knowledge, for you to know how many nails were in the ark and how long Samson's hair was. It is for you to commune with your God who speaks to you in the Word. The Word is alive and powerfully working and it changes your heart. The Word of God will change your heart. When when the Word exposes sin in your life, and it does in all of us, when the Word exposes sin in your life, and you don't know how to fix it, you don't know what to do, you don't know how to make it right, you run to Jesus Christ to have your sin forgiven, the blood covering your sin before the Father, and you go to the Word to be changed by the Spirit of God. The Word renews our minds, it says. It draws us to desire God's will. The cry of this section in Hebrews is, Today, if you hear His voice, don't harden your heart. Do you want to hear God's voice? Read your Bible. 
Do you want to hear God's voice audibly? Read your Bible out loud. It took you a second, but you got it. The word is sufficient. 2 Timothy 3, 15, 16. The word is sufficient that the man of God may be fully equipped for every good work. There is no work, no good thing, nothing that the word of God does not equip you for. When you examine yourself by the word, you will, listen, listen close right here. I'm about done, maybe. When you examine yourself by the word, you must be ready and you must understand you will find sin in your heart. You will find imperfection. You will find failure. That's why the next section, beginning in verse 14, shows us that we have a high priest who brings salvation. We have the gospel. I don't have to be afraid and defensive when the word of God points out my sin. You don't have to be in despair. You don't have to fight against it. You don't have to hang tooth and nail on this righteousness that you think you have when you have none. You have a savior who has given you perfect righteousness. There is no need to do battle against the word of God when it reveals your sinfulness. Run to Jesus. Expect that when you read the word, it is going to expose your sin, expose the ugly parts of your heart that you haven't dealt with yet. That's the growing, maturing Christian life, and it's going to be that way until you leave this life. That was, that is, what's the word? I mean, that is one of the major tactics of Satan. It's always been. When, when sin is revealed, we want to be like Adam and Eve and go hide. You don't have to go hide. You can't cover it. You can't fix it. You can't make it better. Run to Jesus. And expect that when I open my word, when I read what God is speaking to me today, I'm going to have my sin exposed. And never get used to it. Never say, well, you know, we all sin. And it, no, sin is inevitable in our lives because we're fallen creatures, but it is never acceptable. It should hurt. It should pain us. That's the Holy Spirit working in us. And it should drive us to the one who forgives by the cross of Jesus Christ. If you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Don't say, nope, I'm not going to do that. I don't believe that's right. If that's you, I know the word says this, but I'm, you should be afraid. You should fear. And you should question yourself. Chapter 3, verse 12 in Hebrews that we walk through this sermon. Take care lest there be in any of you an unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. And verses 4, chapter 4, 1 through 2, it said... While the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, 
lest any of you should have come, have failed to reach it. They didn't believe God's word. You must trust in the word of God. Trust in it over our own will, over our own desires, over our own thoughts, over our own experience, over our own understanding. Verse 11 told us, strive to enter rest because the word of God is living, active. At the end of that, verse 12, you will give an account. Who is the person striving to enter God's rest? It's the person who has been laid bare. And their sin exposed by the word of God. And instead of doubt, instead of excuses, instead of unbelief, they run to Jesus in repentance and faith. That's the person striving. The person exposed by the word who says, you know, I refuse to submit. I refuse to be held to the word standard. I I will put my own needs, my own thoughts, my own desires, my own will over what the word says. You should be afraid. If you don't believe all that the word says, how can you trust the promises? Aren't they given in the word as well? And I'm I'm speaking from experience here. Don't ever think, well, Jason's a pastor, so he's at some higher spiritual. uh -uh. If you know me, you know that. But I remember years ago, an event happened to me. And the word of God told me what my response should be. And I said, nope, I'm not doing that. I am not going to do that. First, I justified why I didn't have to, why it wasn't really applying to me. And I'm good at that. Ask Dana. (laughs) And then I made excuses why I couldn't do it. What's going to happen if I do that? I can't do that. No way. I was a pastor at the time. And then I just said, you know, okay, I understand it's wrong, but hey, I've got the gospel, so I'll disobey this one thing. God will forgive me. Everything will be fine. Days and weeks went by, and I held on to my disobedience. Every time conviction came, I talked myself out of it. I justified what I was doing. I made excuses. I even used other Bible verses to justify my disobedience. I'm telling you a real story here. This is not made up. Then through the providence of God, God brought me to Luke chapter 6. And it was through this verse, these verses, I'm going to show it to you in a minute. Make sure you look it up though because the screen might be wrong. (laughs) Luke chapter 6, God brought me to these verses and it brought me to a point of decision. It brought me to a cliff. And he said, what are you going to do? You're either going to jump off or you're going to come follow me. One of those two. And that verse, Luke chapter 6, verse 46 says, that's not it. He said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? And in my head, you know, the voice inside my head is, is like, well, I'm not going there. <laughs> It was, like, it was like a dad going, boy, what's wrong with you? Are you kidding? Why, Mr. Pastor, why do you call me Lord? How dare you call me Lord and then not do what I tell you to do? 
And then he says, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundations on a rock. And when the flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had well been well built. He's saying, I don't care what you think your life's consequences are going to be. You follow my word and I will plant you on that foundation. And when the stream breaks against you, I will protect you. And then he says, but the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. In this passage, it was as if, I didn't hear no, I didn't hear no voices and I didn't see no visions, but it was as if the Lord was speaking to me and giving me an ultimatum saying, listen, son, you're either going to follow my word or you're not. Why do you call me Lord and you're not going to do what I tell you to do? It was a moment of despair. It was a moment of heartbreak. I remember standing in the driveway of my father's house just bawling like a baby. We cannot forsake living by the word of God. You don't have, you can't be perfect. You can't be sinless. Every time for the rest of your whole life, the word is going to reveal your sin. That's just the way we are as fallen creatures. It's not good. It's not right. But that's who we are. And that's why we have a savior. But when conviction from the Holy Spirit comes through the word of God, we cannot turn from it. We don't have to. We've been given forgiveness. We've been given the gospel. Why do you call me Lord and not do what I tell you? Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Don't fight against the conviction of the Holy Spirit. That's what he does. That's what he wants to do in you. We'll talk about discipline and God loving you through discipline later on in Hebrews. So if there's a resolution that I need to make for the new year... Let's be people of the word. Let's be people of the word even when we don't really like what it says. Because God knows my heart better than I do. He knows my life better than I do. He knows what I need. And he has lovingly and graciously given given me everything that I need in the word of God. Let's be people of the word. And the first command that Jesus gave in the Gospel of Mark, the time has come, the kingdom is at hand, repent and believe the Gospel. Maybe that word has come to you this morning. Trust in Jesus, give him your heart and life, and he will save you. Let's pray. Father, we do love you, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you immensely for your word. Thank you for the conviction of your word. None of us is beyond it. None of us is so spiritual that we are not convicted by it. We are all sinners by nature. God, we thank you for your salvation. We thank you that we need not despair over the conviction of your word because we have Jesus and the promises in the word that go along with our salvation and our adoption. We are free. God, draw our hearts to live hard after you. To go to war against our sin knowing that the one who lives in us is greater than the one who lives in the world. God, help us to be people of the word.
Help us to be people who commune with you in your word, who hear your voice and don't harden our hearts. God, I need to be that person. I pray that you would empower us, that you would speak to us, that you would show us how we can better equip ourselves by the word that you have given through the Spirit and his power to be people of the word this year. God, we thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to stand right down here. If you want to come and pray, if you want to come and talk to me for anything, receive Jesus, whatever it is you want to do, please do. Will you stand with me?